Good morning. Good to see everybody for worship. I, I don't know about you, but I had a long weekend with, we went and saw a late night movie. So, um, anybody see a late night movie this weekend? Yeah, a couple people. There's this big film that came out, and I'm not gonna, it was called The Hunger Games, so I'm not gonna tell you anything about it. But, uh, anyway. My wife really liked it. And, uh, I, I, I was glad that I paid the money for it, too. So. I'm kind of like a Rocky Three, Karate Kid fan. E.T. I even liked E.T. So I'm a pretty big strike zone. So you know, I definitely encourage you to see it. So hope that helps. I just spoiled it for so many people. I think it was it was worth my money. So there you go. I uh, I, I it was funny because one of the guys that we were sitting with uh, he he and I were talking about the kind of movies we like, and it was uh, you know. I'm a big movie fan. I don't know about you, but I love watching movies. I'm, I fall asleep through a lot of movies. This movie kept me awake, so, but I fall through, asleep through a lot of movies, so I don't ever remember if I've seen it. And so I'm like, I want to see that. She's like, my wife's like, we've seen that. And I'm like, really? No. So, but anyway, I have a movie clip, no surprise, to start our message on jealousy. And this is between, this is jealousy that crops up between a, two toys. And Andy in Toy Story, Andy has toys, some favorite toys, and his his uh, favorite toy, Woody, is feeling a little threatened by a new toy that has just entered the scene. And so I want to introduce you to this tension that we're going to talk about through this video clip. So if we're ready, roll the clip. Buzz Light, your mission log, start at 4072. My ship is run up course en route to Sector 12. I've crash-landed on a strange planet. The impact must have awoken me from hypersleep. Terrain seems a bit unstable. No readout yet if the air is breathable. And there seems to be no sign of intelligent life anywhere. Hello? Oh, yeah! Ah! Whoa! Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Did I frighten you? Didn't mean to. Sorry. Howdy. My name is Woody, and this is Andy's room. That's all I wanted to say. And also, there has been a bit of a mix-up. This is my spot, see? The bed here. Local law enforcement. It's about time you got here. I'm Buzz Lightyear, Space Ranger, Universe Protection Unit. My ship has crash-landed here by mistake. Yes, it is a mistake. Because, you see, the bed here is my spot. I need to repair my turbo boosters. Do people still use fossil fuels, or have you discovered crystallic fusion? Well, let's see. Uh, we got double A's. <gasps> Watch yourself. Oh, who goes there? Don't shoot. It's okay. Friends. Do you know these life forms? <laughs> yes. They're Andy's toys. All right, everyone. You're clear to come up. I am Buzz Lightyear. I come in peace. Oh, I'm so glad you're not a dinosaur. Bye-bye. Thank you. Now, thank you all for your kind welcome. Say, what's that button do? I'll show you. Buzz Lightyear to the rescue. Wow. Hey, Woody's got something like that. His is a pool strike. Only, Only it sounds like a car ran over it. Oh, yeah, but not like this one. This is a quality sound system. Probably all copper wiring, huh? So, uh, where are you from? Singapore? Hong Kong? Well, no. Actually, I, I'm, I'm stationed up in the Gamma Quadrant of Sector 4. As a member of the elite Universe Protection Unit of the Space Ranger Corps, I protect the galaxy from the threat of invasion from the evil Emperor Zerg, sworn enemy of the Galactic Alliance. Oh, really? I'm from Play School. And I'm from Mattel. 
Well, I'm not really from Mattel. I'm actually from a smaller company that was purchased in the leverage buyout. Well, I don't... You think they've never seen a new toy before? Well, sure. Look at him. He's got more gadgets on him than a Swiss Army knife. Ah, 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 ah. Please be careful. You don't want to be in the way when my laser goes off. Hey, a laser! How come you don't have a laser, Woody? It's not a laser. It's a, it's a little light bulb that blinks. What's with him? Laser envy. All right, that's enough. So through the course of this movie, Woody just, man, he just gets more and more and more jealous of, of this new toy buzz. And, you know, they work it out. There is a Toy Story 1, 2, and 3. And so 3 is emotional, let me tell you. It is, it's rough. So it's got some nostalgic things for me. Cause I, okay, too much backstory on that, but a lot of memories from my nephews and watching that film with my own kids. So anyways... Toy Story. The, the jealousy issue that you see in here is not uncommon to what we experience just in our relationships, at work, in our home. Jealousy is one of those things that we really figure we would all grow out of by the time we're adults. We would assume that this, compared to most things, this is just a childish thing that we deal with. But, in fact, jealousy is something that, as adults, we really, really wrestle with at different level and at different times. All sorts of thoughts enter our head, like, you know, he's just too nice. That guy is too nice. I don't know what it is about him. He's just too nice. He's not for real. Or she's just too pretty. She, I don't know her, but she's too pretty. She has this look and you just, you might tend to avoid certain people. Or, well, if I had that kind of money, then I certainly wouldn't spend it the way that they spend their money. And we start, again, casting judgments really out of jealousy for what others have. Sometimes we, do, we don't even know a person and we don't like them. I don't know her. I don't know him, but... I don't even want to get to know them. I just don't like them. I don't know what it is about them, but I just do not like them. And so we're going to look at this dynamic. And at the top, if you'd like to follow along your listening guide, you see at the top it says, Jealousy builds resentment. It just builds this, it fuels resentment towards what others have that we lack. They have something that we don't have. And it's not fair. These phrases come out of our mind, out of our mouth. We work just as hard as they do. Why do they get to live like that? It's just not fair. It doesn't seem like they should have that. Or they always fill in the blank. They always they always get the opportunities. They always get the jobs. They always get the ladies. They always get the leadership. Whatever it is, just fill in the blank. They always. And we think, I'm just as smart as them. I have just as much education. I look just as good. Why don't I? It's not fair. They always. Or he never. She never. You know, he never had to work hard. You know, this is not fair. He never had to work hard a day of his life. I have to bust my butt. I've got to do all this stuff. He didn't have to do anything. It's all given to him. She didn't have to work for that body. It's just the genes. It's genetics. That's not, it's not fair. So we have all these things that fly through our head. But the truth is, a change in our lives, like a better job or an extreme makeover or new opportunities, doesn't seem to revolve, resolve the issue because this is a heart problem. Jealousy exposes... There's a deeper issue. There's a heart problem that we're actually wrestling with. Is And all of our life, we always seem to find a bigger fish to be jealous of. Just when we feel like the things have worked in our favor and we've now, okay, we feel a little better about ourselves compared to this person, well, now we realize that there's this guy over here or this person over there. There's always a bigger fish to be jealous of. And where did this come from? Think about where did this come from? Was it just your parents Maybe your parents were really jealous, and that's where you got it. But the truth is, this is just part of our human condition. We wrestle with jealousy, all of us. 
The Bible, in fact, records stories of jealousy throughout its pages. And so just wanted to highlight some of the more famous ones in the Bible. First, you have uh, Cain is jealous towards Abel. Cain and Abel, these are the sons of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, the first man, first woman. They have children. Their firstborn son is named Cain. And Cain is a farmer who at one point, it says that he brought to God an offering from the fruit of the soil. The fruit of the soil is, so he's a farmer. And the implication, I think, is that he wasn't giving his very best. Because also, it doesn't, it doesn't, the text doesn't tell you exactly. There's a couple ways you can read this passage. But one is that, you know, fruit grows in the ground. It's, you know, produced from the soil. But also, the thought could be that the fruit of the soil, meaning the fruit had fallen off the, fallen off the tree or whatever and picked up off the ground and given. So, giving kind of off the soil, the leftovers in a sense, not giving his best. But either way, his offering was not looked on with favor by God. His brother, who happens to be raising animals, gives an offering of his own, and he gives from the firstborn of his flock, it says. He brought God his very best. And God was pleased with his offering, not pleased with Cain's offering. And so what it does is Cain is fueled with jealousy. Chapter 4, verse 5 reads this. It says, But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. God didn't look with favor. So Cain was very angry. He starts stewing and his face was downcast. There's this obvious, you know, our anger, usually it's red on our face. And so God saw he wasn't happy. God has a conversation with Cain about his anger that was turning to jealousy because his brother's offering was accepted and his wasn't. It's interesting. The real issue between Cain and Abel is really between Cain and God, if you think about it. Why is Cain mad at Abel? He, his offering was accepted. But really the issue is God responded. He, you know, Cain really was, should have been angry at God, but he takes it out on Abel. And it says that in his anger, basically he attacks his brother and he murders him. He murders him. There's this first murder. Gosh, it doesn't take long in, in the human race for, for this process to work itself out. Someone doesn't get something, someone blocks their goals, there's an attack and a murder. Later on in another story, we see another set of feuding brothers whose jealousy began, this, in this case, in the womb. And I want to read from Genesis 25. This is Isaac and Rebekah's sons, Jacob and Esau. And there's this jealousy that, that begins with them. Verse 22 in chapter 25 says this, says the babies, well, I'll back up. It's not on the screen, but it says the Lord answered his prayer and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. So Rebecca's pregnant. Verse 22 says the babies jostled each other within her. And she said, why is this happening to me? She feels this kind of this almost like a wrestling match going on. There's this jostling. Why is this happening? This is not ordinary. So she went to inquire of the Lord and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, two peoples. From within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. These two children will form nations that will be opposed. And it, it's in the womb, it already has begun. Verse 24, when the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first one to come out, this is what every mother hopes for, was red and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. Wish we could have been there to see that. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. And so he was named Jacob. Jacob actually means he grasps the heel. Jacob and Esau were in 
tension back and forth. But Jacob, in later on, Jacob wrestles with God. He wrestles with God. At one point, he yields. God redirects the course of his life, changes his name. But Jacob's like got this wrestling going on throughout his life, even here. He comes out of the womb, and he's grasping his brother's heel on the way out of the womb. Now, if you're a wrestler, you understand that's a wrestling technique, you know, like a low single leg. So he's working out his wrestling strategy already. But this tension begins there, but it continues on through the course of their lives. They end up having just kind of a despicable relationship back and forth with trickery and, again, motivated by jealousy. Joseph is another person. Joseph is the son of Jacob. So Jacob and Esau. Jacob ends up having 12 sons. And one of those sons is named Joseph. And Joseph was kind of like daddy's favorite. He was the favored son of Jacob. Jacob gave him this ornamented robe just to kind of show his his uh, favor towards Joseph, and it made all of his 11 brothers extremely jealous of Joseph. And at one point, Joseph has this dream. And in the dream, he tells his brothers, he tells his dad and his brothers, hey, I had this dream. And in my dream, all of you were bowing down to me. And so imagine your younger brother telling you that. And if, you, you know, if, you, if you're a family with a lot of kids and you've got a younger brother that's telling you that, you know, you're not wanting to hear that from them. But here's how they responded. Verse 11, his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. So this jealousy begins. One day he's sent by his father, Joseph is sent by his father to check up on his brothers. And they were on the move out in the fields watching the flocks. And as they see him coming, I'm not going to read it from the text there, but you can, you can read it for yourselves later. As they see him coming, they begin to plot to murder him. There's that dreamer, he's coming, let's kill him. And one of the brothers, Reuben, he kind of talks some sense into everybody. We can't kill our brother. And so eventually someone suggests, let's, set, let's just, there's some slave traders passing by. Let's throw them in this, in this well and we'll sell them to these slave traders. And they actually do that. They go back and they tell their father, here's Joseph's robe. There's blood on it. He was killed by a ferocious animal. So they tell this lie because they're so jealous. Well, they end up sending, you know, they sell their brother off. Joseph eventually lands in another country in Egypt and is raised there. And God used that, but the jealousy, again, is just part of the human experience. This is what we do. Later on in Matthew 20, amongst Jesus' closest followers, Jesus' disciples were feuding over their own position. There's this one point where of the twelve disciples, two of them are jockeying for position. They want power. And so their mother goes to Jesus and says, says, the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling down, asking a favor of him, Jesus says, what is it you want? She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and at your left in your kingdom. See, they want power, they want position. And then Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. And he's talking about something. He's talking about the cup of suffering just having the wrath of God upon himself, bearing the wrath of God for the sin of the world. He's saying, are you willing to, to go the course that I'm going to go? Oh yeah, we'll do that. They have no idea what they're saying here. Jesus says, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. See, they eventually are going to suffer and die. They're both martyred. Well, one of them is martyred, one of them is exiled till he's dead for his faith. 
But he says, you will indeed drink my cup, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared for by my Father. And when the ten, the other disciples are listening to this conversation, they get in on this. It says they were indignant with the two brothers. And I really want to know if they were angry at James and John because they didn't ask first. My suspicion is they're like, oh man, that's a great, man, they got, they got their foot in the door. We want to be reigning. We want the positions of power. Jesus corrects the whole discussion. He calls them all together and he says, you know, the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. Their high officials exercise authority over them. This has to do with, the wording here has to do with leaders of the Gentiles, like worldly leaders, basically keep their followers under their feet and they're like stepping on their necks so that we can't make any progress. He says, that's the way the world does it. Then he corrects it. Not so with you. Instead, of her, instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus corrects their thinking, but all this stuff is motivated, again, by jealousy. By what others have, what we lack. With jealousy, over and over, the dilemma is, I think that you're my problem. I think you're my problem. I'm directing my anger towards people but there really is nothing that people can do to resolve my issue. There's nothing you can do to fix my jealousy. If I'm jealous of you, the only thing that I'm hoping for is that you fail. That's the slimy part of jealousy. If, if, if we really look at how jealousy... We, we, get, we get a little bit of pleasure when the people we're jealous of actually fail. Secretly, we're like, yes. Good for them. Good for them. They deserve it. I saw it coming. And we start, again, finding pleasure and taking joy when we see other people fail. But in reality, these people who surface jealousy in me are not even the real problem. They're not really the issue of my jealousy. With jealousy, our real problem is with God. With all of our jealousy, the real issue is between me and God and what we think He's held back from us. God, you owe me a better job. Or God, you owe me a different kind of body. God, you owe me a more peaceful family, better friends, more resources. God, you owe me. It's not fair. Scripture highlights this in many places, this idea. Here's probably one of the most famous. This is in James. James says in chapter 4, verse 1, it says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? What is it that causes us to have fights and quarrels with each other at work, in church, in your family? You might be tempted to think, well, there's all sorts of situations. Those are different areas, but James doesn't think so. He says there's this common denominator between what causes fights and quarrels. And he says, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? James is saying that there's a battle going on inside each of us. And it's on the inside. And if you bump me hard enough, that tension... On the inside, it's going to spill over and it's going to get all over you. It, there's desires, there's some things that I really want. And if you bump me, you're kind of in my splash zone of wrath. And that's what James is addressing here. He says this, you want something, but you don't get it. And you might want to underline that. You want something, but don't get it. Because there it is. This is the source of every conflict that you and I will ever experience. I want what I want. We can't get what we want. We want to have our way. And all of our fights that we think are about stuff 
You know, it's really about the fact that we're not getting something that we really want. There's a goal that's being blocked. He goes on and he says, what do we do about it? Well, you want what you want. You kill. That sounds extreme, but we saw Cain and Abel. It actually happens. You kill, you covet, meaning you just strive after it. But you cannot have what you want. In the end, you never really get what you want. None of us, even if we win the argument, even if some of our desires are fulfilled, we're not ever satisfied. There's this inability to experience satisfaction that we, that we have. We're never, ever satisfied because these desires just cannot be quenched. And so what we do is we blame. And blaming, according to this passage, is really a futile issue because we tend to blame back and forth, but that's not even the real issue. Then he goes on, he says, you quarrel, you fight, you don't have because you don't ask God. In other words, when we're angry, we don't get what we want because we're asking the wrong person. We're trying to get out of other people what only God can provide or fulfill or answer. It's like God is saying, by the way, this whole thing, this whole argument, this whole thing that you just had with this person, this could have been avoided if you would stop trying to squeeze out of people what you can only find in me. And we often think, well, I've tried that. I've tried to pray. God doesn't answer my prayers. It doesn't work. But James is just instructing us here to bring our deepest desires, our, our unmet human needs, bring them all to God the Father. No matter how big, no matter how small, He wants us to bring them. But if it's important to you, God wants you to bring it to Him in prayer. And then He says this, And when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. He's the source of all good things. Sometimes we ask, sometimes we ask God for what we want, and He wants us to learn to just trust Him while He waits. Or, or even if He doesn't give us what He wants, He wants us to learn to trust Him in the midst of that. Rather than just trying to take matters into our own hands and squeezing out of other people to give us what we really want, He wants us just to keep coming back to Him. Keep coming back to Him. Keep asking God for, for the things that are going on. So your problem, my problems that I usually take out on people and that you usually take out on people, it's really, what the passage is saying, it's really about me and God. It's an issue between me and my Heavenly Father. We, and we, we ruin relationships over the issue of jealousy. We don't connect with people. We keep our distance from people because of this issue. But our true problem is really with Him. Look at this other statement. God does whatever He chooses, we find out. He does whatever He chooses with the distribution of gifts, of talents, of skills, of genetics. I mean, He does whatever He chooses in these areas. One king, he recognized this. King Nebuchadnezzar. In the book of Daniel, just a brief verse, part of a long story where a king has an encounter with God and he sees that God is not limited and God cannot be um, pressured in, into doing what we want. The king says, God does as He pleases. He makes this statement. He does as He pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of earth. No one can hold back God's hand or say to God, what have you done? Nobody gets to point their finger at God and say, you know, and start blaming Him. He does whatever He chooses. In another place in the New Testament, Paul, when he's talking about, Paul's a first century church starter and he's talking about how in a typical church, God has spread out among the Christians in the church certain things called spiritual gifts. There's gifts of mercy, gifts of encouragement, leadership, administration, service. The list goes on and on, but it's like he's, he's sprinkled into his church 
all these different gifts so that the church can function together as one unit. He hasn't given one super spiritual guy all the giftings. Like there's no Superman church guy who's got it all together and got all the gifts. And if we could just get him into our church, then we'd get it all right. No, in fact, all of us have these deficiencies where we all fill in the gaps. We all come together. We work together. And Paul, he's addressing the fact that we need each other. And he says this, all these gifts, the spiritual gifts, are the work of one and the same Spirit. And He gives them to each one. God gives them out to each one, just as He determines. Again, this is a choice God makes. He chooses to distribute gifts, talents, wiring, the way that He, he wants to. So whenever the thoughts of jealousy come up within us, just stop. Stop them. Stop. We have to stop ourselves from going there in our mind, because my problem is not with them. I make it about them, but it's really not between me and them. It's about me and God. That's where the real issue lies. And if you never learn to combat jealousy, you will never be able to have and maintain healthy relationships all your life. This will be a real problem. The reason why is because our ability to do one of the most important things that we can do as humans, which is to love people. This is like the great you know, commandment. You know, love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbors as ourselves. To love people. Love God, love others. That's one of the reasons why we exist. To love God and to love others. We cannot pull that off if we have a heart infected with jealousy. And 1 Corinthians 13, the very next chapter, Paul describes the type of love we're supposed to have, and he says, of love. He says, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, he says. So love doesn't envy. And if envy, jealousy, again, if that's infecting our heart, then we cannot pull off real love. We can't maintain healthy relationships if my heart's infected. So here's the path. Here's how we find freedom. First, admit. Admit that I think God owes me. Just have an honest talk with God. Tell God you think He's ripped you off. And I know that sounds kind of bold, to just, I'm supposed to tell God, I think you ripped me off. That may be the best and most honest conversation you may have ever had with God. That may be the best thing. Whether or not your thinking is right, it may be best just to approach Him with what is really on your mind. Sometimes we're so ashamed of the thoughts we have. God wants us just to bring the, the big, the small things that we really think maybe God can take it. He's a big boy. He can handle our big boy talks. We want to have an honest talk. He can handle it. God, you could have provided me with a better life. You could have provided me with a better just makeup. You could have provided me with a different personality. God, you could have given me different jobs along the way. Have a heart-to-heart with God on who He has made in you. Talk to Him about it. Be honest. And just in the middle of that kind of conversation, what God tends to do is He tends to remind us of how much He really has given us. If we'll be honest with Him, He'll turn our hearts. If you've ever yielded your life to Jesus Christ, He'll probably turn your heart to the reality of His goodness. See, most of what we have experienced as far as what God has poured into our lives, we had nothing to do with and we did not deserve. In fact, our rebellion, our life of sin, we all decided to walk away, to live independent from God. And because of that, we deserve to be cut off from Him for all eternity. We deserve to be separated from God in hell. That's all we deserve. And so it's because God is gracious and mercy 
that we, we find the one thing that we didn't deserve. It's forgiveness. We experience that in Him. He doesn't owe us anything. He doesn't. But the first starting point is just admit, this is what I think, God. This is how I'm feeling right now. I'm taking it out on others, but this is how I feel. The truth of the matter is, it cost God everything. He gave up His Son, but He, he doesn't owe us anything. And some of you may be here and you're, you're at a point where you have not connected with Jesus Christ. You've not yet yielded your life to Him. I'd strongly encourage you, begin to take the steps towards investigating who He is. Investigate, how do I connect with Jesus Christ? There's a box on your list, on your, uh, the back of your connection card, top right. Send me info about beginning a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you've never done that before, for the first time, mark that. We'd love to connect you with someone in our church. Or maybe you need to talk to the person that invited you and just say, how do I connect with God? Because maybe you can't answer that question. That you know with confidence where you'll spend eternity. Or that you know that you have a right standing, a right relationship with God. You're not really sure? I'd encourage you to, to get certain on that. To get your questions answered. But second step towards jealousy Finding freedom from jealousy is confess your jealousy. So admit to God you think He owes you, and then confess your jealousy to those you've mistreated. Confess it to the people that you've that you've withdrawn yourself from. Are there some people in your life that you find it almost impossible to be kind to? A lot of smiles right now. Just think about that. Is there is there anybody in my life that I find it because I'm jealous or because I wrestle with that? Is there someone in my life that I find it almost impossible to be kind to? I'm sure most of us have a few people's faces and names coming to our minds. You may be jealous of them, and it's probably spilled out into your relationship. And now, if you think you've mistreated them, then I'd encourage you to go. Clear that up with them. Go and apologize. It can go something like this. You know, I've really treated you like a jerk. I've been really rude. I've been wrong. I've been cold. All because of the attention you're getting. All because... You know, I've got an issue between me and God. It's really not you. This is an issue I'm realizing between me and God. And I'd just like to ask you to forgive me for the way I've treated you. Confess it to them. Straighten it out. If you've, if you've been harsh with someone because of this kind of issue. I had, I had a friend. I did this with a friend in ministry. Because he was getting way more attention than I was. He was funnier. He could tell better stories. He could preach better. He, it was all very natural for him. His natural humor. He didn't have to plan his humor. I have to plan humor. And, you know, it was just very smooth. And I just, I was just, like, it was boiling inside of me. One day at the office, he comes over to my desk and he asks me a question. And I was just steaming. And I turned and I snapped at him. And he was just like, and I didn't, I didn't clarify. He just, he backed up, went back to his desk. And I just sat there and I was just like, uh, I was really frustrated that God didn't make me naturally funnier, taller. And I got these beefs in life, and I'm just the issues. It's really between me and God, and I I needed God to straighten out my thoughts. I went back to Him and I just said, "Hey, I'm sorry. I snapped at you." <laughs> and I, I I got a chance to talk to Him about some of that was going on inside of me. He forgave me, and we still relate to this day. And but the truth of the matter is, I could have just let that go and harbored some envy towards him. And every time I have interaction with people like that, then I maybe just avoid them or or I have to be fake with them. We don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to live that way, having to try to manage how I treat people. I want to be able to be the same person all the time. I, I don't want to have to do that. 
I'd encourage you to confess it. Then this last one. This is probably the most difficult new habit to form. Celebrate the people you tend to be jealous of. Probably the hardest thing. Celebrate the person or the people that you tend to be most jealous of. Are you serious? I could never do that. I encourage you, try it. If you can't celebrate their lives, their accomplishments, their natural abilities, you'll probably always be dogged by this part of your dark side. Do it out loud. If they've done a good job, tell them, hey, you did a really good job with that. If you see them excelling at work, tell them, hey, you're doing a great job. That's a huge help to the company. Hey, you see someone excelling in, in serving or just someone is setting a real high standard in a certain area of ministry, go and tell them. Hey, I'm, I'm seeing the way you serve people. I'm just really encouraged by that. You really do serve. And be sincere. Don't be fake about it. Are you going to spend the rest of your life dealing with jealousy? Or do, you, or do you want to be free from some of these things? Because this area infects all other areas. A jealous heart infects the rest of our life. Next week we're going to look at the area of lust. And lust, battling and having victory over lust, is tied to how we deal with jealousy, greed, anger, guilt. Those other things we've looked at. If we, don't, if we just let these other areas reside, we're going, to lose the, we're going to lose the war when it comes to lust as well. Because our heart just remains infected. And when you have an infection in your body, it just spreads. You can't ever get healthy. And so I encourage you to begin to make a habit of celebrating the people you tend to be jealous of. Who do you need to celebrate today? Who do you need to celebrate this week? I'd encourage you to write some names down. And I want to invite the band to come up here. And In a few moments, we're going to be receiving our offering. And that's the time for us just to give back to God out of gratitude for His for how he has has given so much to us. And so when the offering comes around, make sure you drop the connection card in there after you finish filling it out. And take a look at these next steps. These are on the back of the connection card as well. Just some ways to apply this message. The first one is just get alone with God. Spend some time alone with God talking to him about this issue. Talk to him about what you think he owes you. If If there's a some areas you're jealous of in others, then I think it's appropriate to say, God, why didn't I get that? Why didn't I have that opportunity? Why am I not like them, God? And admit to him those thoughts and allow him to reorient your perspective. Allow him to introduce right perspective. If you need help with that, you might talk to someone who you know walks with God. Secondly, ask God to help me begin to celebrate people. Since this step is probably the most difficult, I encourage you to ask God for the help. This is going to be really hard to do. And so ask God to strengthen you when you're about to have that conversation or when you see the person. God, strengthen me to be able to recognize the good in their lives. Help me not to just see all dark and bad about them. Help me to see the good. Help me to encourage that guy. And then last, invite an unchurched friend or family member next week. Like I said, I'm going to be talking about lust and then that will wrap up this series and then we'll be on into Easter. And so I encourage you to show up for that. That's a real warm and inviting topic, right? Church is talking about less. Come and join me. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you so much for who you are, God, that you would even look at us and make a way for us to know you. Lord, we've all rebelled. We've all gone our own way. And Lord, we don't deserve to know you. We don't deserve to be able to to be called sons and daughters of God. 
what a privilege, God. And you, you bought us through the blood of your son, Jesus. And we are so grateful. I know there are some here that have not connected with you personally. Lord, I pray that you would move them towards that, God, that you'd lay out those steps for them, Lord, help them to have those conversations and to get a clear understanding of what it means to follow you. I pray you'd use us as a church and use people in our church to communicate your truth to others. Lord, and I pray for this area of jealousy. I pray that as you've pointed some things out to us this morning, I pray that names and situations would be cropping up in our mind, that we would do something about that. We wouldn't just be people who hear the word only and do nothing with it and walk out these doors thinking, that was an interesting message. Made me think. But Lord, would we be people that would walk out of here and that we would apply it to our lives and the way that we treat each other? That we could truly love people patience and kindness without envy just like you want us to love. Lord, I thank you for your guidance in the scripture. Thank you for what you have to say to us this morning. And we ask you for the courage to live this stuff out. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.